This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on Chris so we both can introduce our Skull and Shackles characters and, of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. And I think we're recording the first Skull and Shackles, like, proto-content, I guess, today? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The first people have been like, what are they playing? When are we getting any news about Skull and Shackles? When's it releasing? You still don't get to know. I'm still not going to tell you by the end of this episode. Yeah. But I guess you get to know about (laughs) two characters. When will it drop? Uh, it's coming, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about characters. It'll be soon, I'm sure. But yeah, so we are welcoming Chris into the studio. Before we do, I'm going to go ahead and talk about what I'm drinking today, because we don't have a seltzer review, which is shocking for this show. And this is a Great Lakes Brewing Company, Hazecraft, Hazy IPA. Griff, what do you got going on today? I got a strawberry vanilla Olipop. It's pretty good. Are those alcoholic? No, they're not. Oh. I, I also have a Wizen Stefanir, mm-hmm. original premium Bavarian something or other. That is alcoholic, but I don't have a bottle opener. So, oh, well, we can change that. I got my keys on me. I thought there was a bottle opener on this end of the table somewhere, but uh, it's hiding. All right, now we're ready to party. That's a beer brewski. Hell yeah! Well. No need to delay. We're going to go ahead and introduce our buddy, Chris. You know him. You love him. I don't feel like I need to plug all the stuff that he does anymore because he's just involved with everything here at Hideous Laughter Productions. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, boys. It's good to be here. Uh-oh. He sounds a little gravelly. <laughs> yeah. Not Chris, feeling the best. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. I got a, I got the itis, I think. Not like the itis, the itis, but like an itis that is just like sore throat congestion. Yeah, one of several itises floating around. We bookended this past week with Ren Fair visits. So we did a Sunday and a subsequent Saturday. And I feel like everybody got sick on Sunday, got pretty much better by Saturday. And now Chris is sick again. And that's probably going to wash through the rest of the group. So hooray! <laughs> just in time for the brew fest. <laughs> just in time. Some call me an early adopter. An, er- oh, an sure. early adopter of whatever this virulent strain is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're definitely convincing me to dip out of work early on like Wednesday and go get my COVID flu combo vaccine. Oh yeah, get that, get that. Yeah, that's a good idea. And a good suggestion to our listeners. I really just wanted to method act. You know, there's been so much disease going on in some of the shows, like Bestow Curse oh, yeah. recently. I'm yeah. like, you know what? What if I just what if I just actually play this out? Mm, Chris, what are those red splotches that are starting to go up your arms? You might have blood veil, bud. Oh, no. Yeah, just oh, something no. I'm kind of working on here. You know, I'm getting into the zone. <laughs> sure. Well, are you drinking anything tonight, Chris? Kind of hope not. Yeah, I'm drinking water. Okay, good for you. And what have you been up to, man? Let's talk about it. Oh, man. So while I haven't been under the weather, I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. Ooh. I'm on my second playthrough. Okay. Just finished Act 1, like, earlier today-ish. It's great. This is my first interaction, really, with the 5e system, and I know it's been a little streamlined for a video game, but I've really been enjoying it. It's uh, playing around some of the classes, some of, like, the, the mechanics. There's a lot of stuff I like about the system as it's presented in Baldur's Gate. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's clearly working with you because 
you turned that around right away and started a second playthrough. Yeah, yeah, I got to go through the evil side. There's like, there's just so many options in the adventure that there's whole sections of the map that I just didn't encounter my first time through. So there's a bunch of new content. That, oh, that's awesome. What classes did you play in the first and second playthrough? First one, I did a a warlock into paladin, like the classic like blade nice. loss type yep. thing. Mm-hmm. The full charisma to everything. It was awesome to play. This time I'm trying monk out, and I'm really liking that as well too. A lot of the power in the game comes from the gear that they give you. The, the gear is like the most powerful thing, basically. And there's a lot of cool stuff for unarmed strike builds and non-armor wearing builds. So I've been just playing around with different combos with that. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. It's great. Well, how about you, Griff? What you been up to? Uh, Haley and I just finished Only Murders in the Building Season 1, which I know you recommended a long time ago, but we're finally getting to it. And it's really good. It's really funny. Really like the cast and the dynamic of older gentlemen with <laughs> with Selena Gomez. <laughs> Two old guys and a millennial. <laughs> yep, yep, it's pretty great. So we've been watching that. Obviously, as you said earlier, we've been going to the Ren Fair. We all are season ticket holders now. Mm-hmm. So we've been making the best of that and really enjoying going. We, uh, we've been watching the armored combat fights. We've Most of us have completed an ale trail ticket already, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is meant for like the season. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I forgot to get my shirt uh, when we well, No, no, no. Time. We said we would get our shirts the next time because it was too late. Oh, really yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll just get them at the start next time. Actually, that might be a good call. We'll get them at the start and then take them right back out to the car. Oh, I thought you were going to say show up shirtless, get the shirt, throw it on. Uh, well, that wouldn't be very... Now we all wear garb. This so, is true. Yeah, we don't not only are we season pass holders, but for folks who are unaware, we're all showing up in costume. Yeah, we don't fuck around with, we're, we don't do normally attire at the Ren Fair anymore. Was Chris walking around with a hammer? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I rolling around with vampire stakes? Absolutely. It's what's going on. Did we go to the Oracle after in Ren Fair garb? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I walk in with a three foot wide Inquisitor hat. <laughs> Do it. A quiet night at a local bar? Absolutely. <laughs> You're the hat guy now. Yeah. The hat man. But aside from that, we're obviously promoing Skull and Shackles characters right now. So I've been pretty deep in Skull and Shackles stuff, including all of the additional side content I'm throwing in there. So just giving stuff a reread. kind of gave most of the content a reread on my travels to Aruba and back, but I'm still working through it. So sure. I got an early conversion question for you because mm-hmm. you, you've read the curse, of the crimson throne conversion. Now you're reading the skulls and shackles conversion. Any differences stand out to you between those two? There's not a full skull and shackles conversion. Oh, so I'm doing most of it myself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's like something out there. It's old. And th- I honestly think that, a lot of the stuff that is in Skull and Shackles now has a parallel in one of the bestiaries mm. or or Rage of Elements and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot more. I, I think I'm, I'm running into the issue, too, in Curse, where because it was completed two years ago, there's just monsters that have been released that are the exact thing that you're looking for now. Gotcha. Uh, so I think I actually think conversion has gotten a lot easier in 2E just because if you pick an older adventure and Skull and Shackles is Skull and Shackles is like right there with Carrying Crown. It was the second. It was 
after Carrying Crown or before Carrying Crown or something along those lines. It was like 2011. Yeah, Serpent Skull was the one in front of Carrying Crown, so I think it was the one after. Yeah. So it's it's an early AP, so mm-hmm. it doesn't really have that like bestiary six content that we don't have in mm. 2E yet. I think it might get a little more difficult as we work in and incorporate the remaster stuff mm-hmm. just because it's going to be back to basics with that, but we'll obviously still have the stat blocks for, for most things. So that's kind of what I'm dealing with. The other thing I'm dealing with is it's like a lot more companions because like it's a crew. Oh, sure. So there's a lot more companions and a lot more NPCs to keep track of like level by level with you guys because there's potential you use them and like they need to fulfill actions. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more, I guess I would call it like a lot more PC stat block generation because that's how I'm dealing with them. Mm. I'm like, I'm allowing them to level to a certain extent. And to do that, you can either, you know, back to basics, make them a stat block and just level the stat block like a monster, or you can just level them like a PC, which is what I'm going to do. Hell yeah. All right, man. Well, that sounds like it's been keeping you busy. Yeah. Before we get into the rest of today's content, I want to give an update about what I've been up to. I've been doing a lot of stuff. I could talk about my rewatch of Seven or my first watch of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or maybe I'll talk a little bit about Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, which I'm loving because it's all about the friendship between two anime boys and how it fell apart. But I'm instead going to give an update on something that I brought up last Zone of Truth, which was my trepidation about seeing Saw X. I went to go see Saw X yesterday, and let me tell you, I went into this thing at an absolute deficit. We were up drinking till three in the morning. I'm riding on like four hours of sleep, but I'm looking at my schedule for the week and I'm like, unless I take time off of work to go see Saw X and my work schedule does not look conducive to that, I'm not going to be able to see Saw X before the brew fest. So I just went yesterday at like 11 in the morning. Oof, I was snuggled up in bed at that (laughs) point. Yeah, I was feeling rough. And so I was ready just to not have a good time. Movie's fucking awesome. Mm. It's so good. I really, really think that pairing this up with Spiral is interesting because Spiral exists on its own within the Saw universe. You don't need to see anything else, but it's just like the premise here is solid and we can do other stuff in this universe and it will work. This approach is the premise here is solid and we're going to do more of the same, but we're just going to do it really well. You don't need to see a single Saw movie before you see Saw X, which Hmm. is kind of weird. It takes place between one and two, so you feel like it'll come out of one and go into two. Not really the case. I truly do think you could see it by itself. There's some grisly gore in this thing, but I really like it. It really focuses a lot on the character of Jigsaw and Tobin Bell's performance of him. Really, really well done. You know, is this like a five-star Oscar winner movie? Absolutely not. But if you're coming at it from the perspective of I know what a Saw movie should do and I've seen the late sequels and some of them are bordering on kind of unwatchable and you're going into this, you're going to be really, really pleasantly surprised. I liked it and I kind of wonder if they're going to keep going with this like weird interspersing movies in between other ones and see if it works. I don't know, but big recommendation for me. I think it was really good. But it's not like a remake. It's truly no. just like, hey, we're... It's numbered 10, but yeah. takes place between one and two. It's got the iPhone naming conventions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of me wishes they ju- they called... Now, I hate. I kind of hate when franchises do this. I wish they called it something generic, like Saw... 
Revelations or Saw Beyond or, you know, like just some generic bullshit. Like Underworld did. Yeah, exactly. And that way you can kind of slot it in. But hey, this was a really, really good installment in the Saw franchise. And uh, yeah, just really impressed. I do got to say real quick, speaking of really grisly, I managed to stay up for this whole movie. I know you went to bed about halfway through, but we watched Cocaine Bear this weekend. And it was, oh my God. Was it like <laughs> it was just something else? Yeah, like, it doesn't get much more violent than getting mauled by a bear, a coked out bear, and uh, it was pretty gory. But it was a—I mean, it was fun. It was a fun watch. Yeah, I wanted to finish it, but I was way too tired. What I saw, I will second that. Could you tell that the bear was on cocaine? You absolutely could. So yeah, you okay. absolutely could. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the bear is obviously full CGI, mm-hmm. but. You know, it does cocaine like 18 times during the movie. Right, someone in a in a green suit with all the tracking stuff, just doing lines of cocaine. Probably how they got those. Uh, I mean, he's it, like the bears really getting into the cocaine. Like they can oh. they can kind of like. I watched a bear just like full on swallow a kilo of coke, like a brick. Oh yeah, yeah, he just swallowed a brick. Yeah. You gotta wonder what that does to the insides. Yeah, or what the stunt guy had to do. Swallow a brick of coke, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way motion tracking works, Steve. That's true. Yeah, they can't do it any other. All right. Well, Chris, I know you're feeling a little under the weather. Did I make my will safe? But I'm going to... (laughs) No, we're not rushing that (laughs) fast. Talking about fortitude saves. Uh, But anyway, we're glad that you could be here because, surprise, you're going to be the first person on the Skull and Shackles season... I don't know what the fuck, if it's a season or a next installment or whatever, of the Hideous Laughter mainline podcast feed to introduce your character. Yeah, first chum in the water. Yeah, so I'm going to bounce a whole bunch of questions and stuff off of you. Just feel free to give me some answers and what you want the people to know ahead of time. Let them know if there's anything that you want to be a surprise. Of course, hold that back. You don't have to answer everything if you don't want to. And Griff, of course, feel free to jump in with color commentary, questions, clarifications, whatever. This is a group effort. So first of all, Chris, let's talk a little bit about who the listener at home should imagine. What's your character's name? Okay. I was workshopping a bunch of piratey names for a while. And the one that I'm I'm finally kind of narrowed it down to is Grady Tackett. Ooh. That's my guy. Grady. It's a very piratey name. Yeah. And... If I'm thinking about Grady Tackett, we don't have the art yet for someone to refer to, but if someone just wants to imagine what your character looks like as they're hearing you describe them uh, and what they do, what do they look like? Sure. Okay. Well, the easiest speedrun route to visualizing the character is picture Jeff Bridges from The Big Lebowski. That is what the character looks like. He's a portly guy in his 50s, 60s. I'm playing like an old wizened pirate. Got a long set of gray hair and a gray goatee in pirate garb. I like to imagine him with this well-worn burgundy long coat that he's always got and like a tricorn hat. And then, uh, you know, just all of his little bobs and doodads with him that he's going to carry. He's going to have some trinkets with him for sure. Ooh, and I know we're going to be talking about that in a second. But so, ancestry? Human. So I'll be the token human for our party's playthrough. <laughs> token hume. Yep. But is the character just a human? Are you taking some sort of versatile heritage or anything? No, you know I got to be taking a versatile heritage. Yeah. So the one that I'm doing is Undine. Undine is what I'm taking on paper. He's not technically going to be an actual Undine, but 
that's just kind of what maps best to what he's been through and what his backstory kind of is. So that makes sense. So what does that mean? Does that mean he is not by birth an undine, but just there are feats in that His mom didn't fuck a genie. That's kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was sort of by circumstance in his life that he kind of stumbled upon some of this stuff. Ah, okay. But he's generally going to present as a human for the most part. Great. All right. Well, if we're working our way through our ABCs, B comes after A, and B means background. Yeah. Very happy with the background here because it Chris taken the, I think the the one E backgrounds and translated them to Tui. So Yeah, I can't take credit for that. I think that was actually um somebody that works for Paizo did it. Oh yeah, I think it might have been Luis. I, I might completely be misattributing it, but one of them was doing a skull and shackles home game and just converted them to Tui. Ah. Well the one that I've taken is touched by the sea. You've always felt the call of the sea and your blood surges with the ebb and flow of the tides. Perhaps one of your parents was a sailor or a pirate or one of your ancestors had a bit of aquatic elf or undine blood in them. Whatever the reason, you're as comfortable in the water as you are on land. So the normal background stuff, two ability boosts, either strength or dexterity, one's free. You're trained in athletics and in sailing lore skill, and you get the underwater marauder skill feat. Solid background for a, an aquatic campaign, for sure. Yeah, that's really good and really thematic. Of course, because it comes from the original, but I really like that conversion there. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. I think this is the one that people are probably most interested in as we go around and talk about these new characters, but it's sea time, baby. The call of the sea class. I'm actually going to leave this one a secret. What? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at the agenda and you wrote a lot here. Yeah. All right. So guys, I'm playing a thaumaturge. Woo! Yeah. I'm super excited to be doing this. I think a thaumaturge works really well for radio. It's doing a lot of recall knowledge, which in combat exposes a lot of creature stat blocks, which I really think is one of the big gems of the TUI system, the flavor that's in those stat blocks. So being able to hear about that in combat is great. And in general, I just like the Thaumaturge concept. I think it's a strong chassis, or I think it's a class with a strong chassis, and I've just been really excited to play one for a long time. Hell yeah, man. That is awesome. I'm curious to see what a pirate Thaumaturge looks like in play. Great attack it. That's your guy. A lot of superstitions around the sea. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. Like, it comes out of Dark Archive, right? So you maybe more associate the class with, like, occult mysteries and stuff. And, like, I don't know. Feels like Ustalov or something. But to your point, I think it could fit really, really well with this adventure, this corner of the world, because so much of pirate culture and, like, old sailing culture is, like, superstitions and reading the sky for like you know red sky at night bullshit and stuff so how hard are you gonna lean into that type of stuff i'm gonna lean pretty heavily into it it's a huge expanse to kind of pull random stuff from which is i think i'm good at doing that in the moment and i just think a thaumaturge fits anywhere basically because every culture has their folk tales and folklore and superstitions so Mm -hmm. there's always troves of things to pull upon yeah all right well There's a a sub-question here within C or class is that if it hasn't been announced already, which I'm pretty sure it has been, we're obviously doing Free Archetype because we love Free Archetype. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about what that is or is it going to be a surprise when you hit level two? 
Sure, yeah, no, I can talk about what I'm planning. We'll see if this changes with any new content coming out. I really don't think it will. I'm looking at the rogue dedication for my first free archetype or the, uh, that set of archetype feats that were given. And what draws you to the rogue? There is a lot of stuff that's just very synergetic with the specific build that I'm doing. Things like quick draw and mobility, all this other stuff works really well for kind of the type of guy in combat that I want to play. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, I love it. All right. Now there's a couple more questions that I want to ask you to help, you know, cement this character in people's brains before they finally hear them. All right. Let's talk about the personality of this character. How do you intend to portray this character in the Skull and Shackles run? Yeah. So definitely playing the part of the old, grizzled, weathered, experienced sailor mm-hmm. for sure, through and through. So Grady's someone who's been on the sea for for decades based on his backstory. So I think it makes a lot of sense with his lore skills to just have him be someone with just an immense experience sailing and navigating the sea. And a lot of my characters is going to have a chaotic energy to him. He's going to be prone to telling tall tales and cracking jokes and is definitely going to have at least a big part of functional alcoholism in his kind of concept as well. So man's no stranger to grog. No, no. I think that's going to be conducive well to kind of how I RP. Uh, for this campaign. <laughs> All right, cool. My next question was casting this character with an actor. So we've already discussed this a little bit. Yep. Is there anywhere else that you pulled inspiration from? Any works of fiction or songs, movies, whatever? Yeah. In general for the campaign, I did watch all of the Black Tides TV series, which was great, phenomenal, just to get like in the mindset of the campaign. Nothing specific for this character on that, though. I read the book... On Stranger Tides, which was the book that the first Pirates of the Caribbean was based off of. It's definitely different from the movie. There's definitely some parallels, but it's a whole different book from what the movie has. And there's much more of a focus on magic in the book. There are these magicians or shamans called Bokors, I think, which is like they draw some influence from Haitian voodoo priests. And these spellcasters are found on ships and they are versed in rituals and talismans and can cast spells to ward people and ships and attack enemies and just wield these supernatural powers or channel spirits and stuff. And in the book, they kind of vary in power level. So like the strongest I would consider akin to like two E casters and the weakest might just be ordinary folk that have like been taught a cantrip by someone stronger than them or just memorize some words to a spell. So at the time the campaign starts, I see Grady as one of the lesser kind of bokors, essentially, is kind of what I'm influenced I'm drawing from this. So maybe he's been taught a magic word or two to activate a scroll, a hint for feats I'm taking, or just wield small amounts of magic to his benefit. So even if he can't actually cast spells, he can use magic and superstition to do stuff, you know? Hell yeah. All right, we're going to move along here. Are there any further generalities that you can share with us about this character, about how they might behave in game and combat? I.e. what role they fill in. Yeah, definitely been thinking a lot about the combat role for sure. So Grady is going to be a midline skirmisher primarily, a bit of a switch hitter as well too, and some secondary healing mixed in there. When Treasure Vaults came out, uh, I was looking through that and saw some great support for thrown weapons builds. And I really like how thrown weapons work for Thaumaturge specifically on paper because they they have a lot of manipulated actions that they have to do in the rotation, and you don't really want to do those up in front of melee for like attacks of opportunity and stuff like that. So he's gonna have some decks, specialize in throwing stuff. Uh, although you can step in melee with like finesse weapons when needed, 
So, you know, in combat, you'll see him doing a lot of the special thaumaturge called knowledge, throwing out some strikes, and then some spot healing sometimes were needed. And I kind of knew a little bit about what people's builds were roughly going to be when I was making him. So he's definitely not a thaumaturge that I would build in a vacuum. I think there's a couple of weak choices I'm making that I'm thinking more about party composition than anything else. I think specifically like implement, I'm picking some implements based off of stuff in the party. But everything I'm picking has really good thematics and flavor in those choices that in a pirate sea theme campaign, I'm excited for. So uh, he's going to be great fun to play. And I think he's going to be great to listen to. I think so. Yeah, I'm really, really interested to see how this character plays out because I've been having a little bit of a tough time cementing in my mind exactly what role a thaumaturge plays in like a standard party and seeing that you're planning on doing some switch hitting and just kind of dabbling in in a little bit of everything. I'm curious to see where Grady excels. Yeah, yeah. I think Thaumaturge really falls into the jack of all trades, master of none in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can really build them for a variety of different purposes. Like you can, any mix of implements can put you a long ways toward a particular role. So for sure. Yeah. He's got a sp- some specific stuff he's, he's specking into, but he's going to be able to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's funny. A lot of the implements kind of, I wouldn't say steal, but almost steal from other classes, yeah, you yeah. know, like the weapon implement gives you an AOO, like a fighter, yeah. the, Amulet kind of gives you a paladin reaction, but like you can mix and match them as you level up. And so it makes for something unique outside of doing like a free archetype as a fighter and a paladin or something else, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Now you get an implement right away when you build your character at level one with the Thaumaturge, right? Yes. I didn't ask this on the agenda, so you can tell me that you want to save it. Do you know what your first implement's going to be? And is that something you want to share? Yeah, sure. The first one that I'm taking is Chalice. Ooh, and I wouldn't normally recommend taking Chalice first because out of all of the implements, like, like at starting, I think it's one of the weakest for sure. But I think it just makes a lot of sense to take with the group build. It's going to be useful, and I think it's going to be fun to RP with as well too. You know. Yep. As a functional alcoholic, the Chalice is a good one to start. With. Exactly what you want. Now, for someone who's never read a Thaumaturge, what does that do? Like brief thirty seconds. Sure. So the Chalice gives you something you can do once around. You can drink from it basically. You can either sip from it and get a couple temporary hit points, like two or three at your first level, or you can drain the chalice and get healing. It tracks a little bit like a champion lay on hands. It's just like a level behind, maybe. So that's the healing you get. After 10 minutes, you can drain it again. So it's kind of like a focus point thing that you don't actually have to refocus for. But that's the nut and bolts of the level one chalice, basically. Just a little bit of healing and some temp HP. Sweet. All right, final question that I have for you. Can you give us a spoiler-free summary of their place in the world leading into Stone Shackles? Yes. So, you know, he's 50s or 60s or whatever. For the past 20 years or so, he's been taking on odd jobs, mostly on whaling crews, and he's been sailing the shackles and other parts of the Arcadian Ocean. Before jumping into all that, those decades of sailing, he tried unsuccessfully to settle down inland on an isle in the shackles where he was like trapping and capturing exotic animals for trade. And so in those sets of experiences, I think he's picked up a lot of odds and ends in terms of esoterica and lore tidbits over the past couple decades. And it's just always listening to rumors people are talking about and the talk of the town and places he visits. So at the start of this adventure, he's traveling to Port Peril just to investigate one of the rumors he's heard, basically. That's where he's kind of picking up on. The vignette's going to have a lot more detail, but that's the good intro to him. Lovely. Before we move on to my Skull and Shackles character, I'd just say, Griff, if there's anything you want to comment on or ask Chris before we move on. I think he gave the, you know, the elevator pitch for the character. I will say 
for the listeners. As he said, not a traditional Undyne. It's going to be very fun. The kind of reveals with this character. There's a lot of stuff that even Chris doesn't really know about the character. He seems to enjoy putting me in a position to be able to do that kind of stuff with, you know, Diego as an example. So I think this character is going to have a lot of cool reveals and is based off of everyone's character that I have, you know, might come into conflict with some of the characters. I think there's a couple personalities that he might clash with to start. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the crew kind of forms. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking specifically we have a couple of very good leaning characters. Just a couple, not all of them, but mm-hmm. Grady's not that. Grady's more traditional pirate. So yeah. we'll see yeah. how we'll see how that kind of plays. I, th- I think obviously you guys will will play it in a way that lends to the party still working well together, but the RP is going to be juicy. We might have an early carrying crowd eclipse Matumbe situation yeah. where it's like, we're in this together, but we disagree about some fundamental points. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to start talking about my Skull and Shackles character because I was running the interview of Chris. How do you two want to do this? Do you want me just to monologue for a while and you guys can interrupt me with questions or comments or whatever? Does somebody I can, want I can to ask the questions. Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Uh, What's your character's name? All right, this is fun. And it took me a while to get here, but the character that I'm going to be playing is called Atlas Reiner, also known as the Cold-Blooded Corsair. A moniker. Yeah, that name in its entirety is loaded up with little references to pop culture stuff that I love. So if you guys are able to figure out some of it, let me know. Yep, there's an Attack on Titan reference. God damn it. Uh, Yeah, your name is just a mashup of anime characters. Got him. That's just one. The rest is not anime. Okay. All right. So who is this guy? You know? All right. Well, let's talk about it. I guess the appearance first then. If you you ask me who this guy is. Yeah. I've teased a little bit that I might play someone with scales and I am. It's happening. I'm I'm playing a Nagaji specifically. And I know this is jumping ahead just a little bit Mm -hmm. into ancestry, but I feel like this is really important for the appearance. I'm playing a sacred Nagaji, specifically like a, a water one. So... What that means is he doesn't look like a regular Nagaji. Now, if you're thinking of a Nagaji, and for those who are not familiar, they're basically snake people. They stand up on two legs. They've got the head of a snake. And that's kind of it. They look like snake humanoids. Sacred Nagaji are a little different, though. They're kind of like centaurs in a way, where it's from the waist up a human and from the waist down, big old snake. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the character. I cast him as Alexander Skarsgård and really excited to talk about some of the influences later on in this episode of, of why I picked him and stuff. But yeah, he's like a fucking jacked, sexy Nordic man from the waist up and from the waist down. He's got like this blue and green and purple, all cool colors tail because he's a, a water snake. And I imagine those colors kind of like diamond pattern all the way up. All right, all right. Did you take a versatile heritage? I absolutely did. And I am so excited to play a mirror-risen reflection. So this is out of the Dark Archive. Basically, reflection covers however you want to play a doppelganger or a clone or whatever. So there's a couple different options. Like you could be born in a vat. Jeez, I can't remember all of them, but the one that I picked is Mirrorism, which basically posits that 
When you look in a mirror, the person staring back at you may not actually be you. That may be a copy of you stuck in some sort of alternate dimension. And that version of you gets out. And what happens next is what happens next. But my character at one point was behind a mirror looking at the original version of them. And now I am playing a copy of a character. I was actually a little hesitant whether or not I wanted to reveal that I was playing a reflection because I think that could have some real like Vec revealing to people that he's been living for a really long time energy, like a cool <laughs> story reveal. But I, I just couldn't justify in my mind how to keep it secret while doing all the reflection stuff in combat and things. So I think it'll be an interesting exercise for me to basically have a secret that instead of letting the party and the listening audience know later on or let that develop instead the party does not know at the beginning of the adventure but the listening audience does so you're kind of ahead of the rest of the characters at the table very cool what's your background similar to chris i picked one of the converted 1e1s this one is called ancient explorer the text on this is you are a student of the ancient history of Galarian and you've come to the shackles to explore the crumbling and vine choked ruins of the Cyclops Empire of Golgon, which have laid abandoned among the Isles of the Shackles for thousands of years. Choose two ability boosts. One must be con or int. The other is free. You're trained in the society skill and the Golgon lore skill. You gain the multilingual skill feat as part of this feat. You can learn any one language of your choice that is common or uncommon and you learn Cyclops. So cool. I know. I read that. I was so glad you picked that one because like, I had no idea that Golgon was in this one I, until I started reading through yeah, these. I was very hopeful someone would pick this one because it makes a good at least third of the adventure hit 10 times harder if you have somebody that actually cares about it. I can't wait. For a lot of these choices, I was like the first one to jump on it. I was like the first one to pick an ancestry with Nagaji. I was one of, if not the first one to pick my class, which I think we're about to talk about. And then when I saw this come out, I was like, I bought it like a backstory in mind. This background is perfect. I'm locking it in. Nobody else take it. Yep. Yep. I'm going to nerd out over the uh, whatever comes up with the plot in terms of this. I just think this is so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys got like a tease in HLP with the side content, but it's like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a lot of stuff, let's get to the juice of the character reveal, you know? Oh, boy. Are you asking for my class? I'm asking for your class. Okay. I wonder if people are going to be surprised about this or not. I kind of think not, because I've telegraphed a couple different times on this specific show, The Zone of Truth. I can't fucking wait to play a psychic. Yeah! This is so incredibly my shit. When this class was published, I was like, this is the next class I'm playing on the podcast. I'm so excited. I love the concept of being a blaster caster and focusing on cantrips. Sure, it suffers a little bit from a leveled spell perspective, but unlike the build strategy that you have, Chris, where you're going for this, be good at a little bit of everything, master of none, I'm kind of the opposite way. I don't know if I'd call myself a min-maxer, but I really like being good at the thing that I'm supposed to be good at to gel with the rest of the party and I want to fucking put out some damage as a caster and I think this is how you do it so there are a couple choices that you need to make when you pick psychic it's a pretty chunky class you need to pick both a subconscious and a conscious mind the general theme of the class is that you're a big old caster but 
the way that you generate your spells is that you have control over your mind and that expands to your surroundings. So your subconscious mind determines your key ability score and a cool ability that you get when you're at basically the maximum level of power mid-combat. And the subconscious mind that I picked is Gathered Lore. So this makes my key ability Intelligence and gives me the granted ability Recall the Teachings. So when you're at the height of your power, aka when your psyche is unleashed, you can aid allies in combat as a reaction. And the cool thing about this is that it doesn't matter what you're trying to aid, you always roll Occultism. See, that's exactly how I'm building Jack. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it gets really strong if you take that occultism to legendary. Yeah. Because, like, for a gunslinger, for instance, when I'm using an attack roll, at level 13, I'm legendary at that. Like, mm-hmm. so my aid roll is super high, and yours can get super high if you just, like, focus in occultism, plus the intelligence, which you're going to have maxed out. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be really fun, especially if we have some heavy-hitting flanking characters, which we might... Yeah, and I think it'll be really cool, too. It'll just give me an opportunity to play off of my turn basically every round that the Psyche is unleashed. It gives me a little opportunity to, like, I don't know, join in on somebody else's turn, insert myself where I shouldn't be. But well, I think it works fun. really well with the telekinetic stuff, too. Yes. Because like, you're rolling occultism, but really you're rolling your magic tradition. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like you're using your telekinetic or you're using your psychic magic to aid somebody. Which, let's talk about it now. The other choice you really need to make is your conscious mind. The big one. So this is the big defining characteristic, I feel, of the psychic. Because this is going to control really what your battlefield role is, uh, how you behave in combat, and gives you access to some very specific stuff that no other version of psychic and no other version of the character you would try to make within another class can do. So the conscious mind that I picked is called the Distant Grasp. This is the one that focuses on telekinesis. Specifically, the big cantrip that you get amped up is the telekinetic projectile, which is already a pretty decent cantrip in the game. So I think the damage potential here is gonna be pretty solid. Now, there's something that I wanna talk about with the Distant Grasp. I like telekinetic projectile for what it does. I don't always love the flavor of it because it relies a little bit on the person who takes it and is using it in combat to be like, ah, I pick up a spoon that's sitting in the corner that the GM didn't describe and throw it at the guy or whatever. You kind of have to like make shit up as you go. So I'm taking a little bit of a different spin on it. And this is purely aesthetic. So this has no change to how this actually behaves in combat. But seeing as I'm this like mere risen reflection who has this incredible intelligence that allows Atlas to see things from another perspective and use reality in a way that other people can't. The way that I'm flavoring this is that when he uses his telekinesis, reality around him shatters like glass. So there'll be like cracks in the air that form around him. And he like basically snaps off bits of fractured reality like shards of glass and hurls them at people. I think it's going to be really cool. I love to give each one of my caster characters a flavor. Matumbe's spells were always purple. Vex are always this gold energy. And so the way that I'm going to describe Atlas's are these like 
broken shards of glass that he's ripping off of reality and slinging at people. Pretty excited about that telekinetic rend cantrip too plays really yes. well under that as well. It's your, your... yeah, telekinetic rend is a specific to the distant grasp cantrip that you get where you create these two different vortexes around and do either slashing or I think bludgeoning damage. I can't remember the other Some one. Mix, yeah. But basically the way that'll manifest is these like tornadoes of glass appear around people and shred them up. Heck yeah. I'm really excited for that. The listener can really tell what the most recent book was released when we were thinking about this character. <laughs> yeah. too, you know? That's why I like that we're doing this together, Chris, because we're bringing the Dark Archive yeah. hard to the shackles. Yep. 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 Last bit of class stuff that I want to talk about is Free Archetype. It's going to be Witch. I'm really excited for All that. Right. I think Witch is going to give me a good opportunity to pad out the spell list and expand my spell slots a little bit, as well as give me access to some Witch metamagic feats that the Psychic doesn't get. And then, of course, the Witch gets a familiar, and I'm not ready to talk about that quite yet, but I have an idea of a familiar that I've talked to Griff about that I really, really love. That's exciting. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. That's it, though. Okay. Your name sounds very German. Are you doing a German accent? Yes, yes. So, All right. So I'm doing a German accent. I've been playing around a lot with it. I think it's going to continue to develop. Right now I have like the sound of German and I'm working on a lot of the consonant substitutions that happen when you speak Germans. Your W's to V's, your V's in the middle of words to F's, that type of stuff. I think it's an accent that's going to develop with time, but all accents on this show do like episode 257 Matumbe sounds certainly different than episode one Matumbe. So I think I'm going to come in with a fun German light accent. And then I think it's going to develop into something that's actually good as I yeah. get more comfortable. It's a gradual thing. If yeah. you, if you ship a Theseus, the accent, no one notices if they're listening through, you know, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Chris, is it the same accent it's made of all different <laughs> continents? So we asked Chris this, you're in a pirate campaign. What kind of character is this? So this is going to be very different from Chris's. My character is not like a yo-ho-ho, arg-matey type pirate. I think in a lot of pirate narratives, there's a sort of fish-out-of-water character, like the smart guy on the ship that went to school and everybody else is like a big bustery sailor. And I'm kind of going for that archetype. So he's a little bit more reserved, but there's going to be a lot more to him that meets the eye. He's certainly capable of helping out. He certainly will roll up his sleeves when he has to, but he's definitely less of a stereotypical pirate than I think a lot of other people are going to be playing on this show. Gotcha. We already talked about, you know, Alexander Skarsgård, but did you, you know, were there any stories or other media that you kind of... I mean, this. if I'm thinking about your character background and I know you haven't revealed everything, it's very, it's somewhat complicated. So, <laughs> um, so how, how did you come up with this character? Okay. I don't think he's pulled in for inspiration from anywhere. You know, <laughs> Chris, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> so when I was watching True Blood about a year ago, I locked in that I wanted to cast this character as Alexander Skarsgård because he's good in that. And then I saw the Northman and I was like, definitely Alexander Skarsgård. But I knew I wanted to do this versatile heritage mirror risen clone thing. And I think I willed this movie into existence. But Alexander Skarsgård plays a doppelganger clone thing in the movie Infinity Pool, which 
I just rewatched yesterday to keep getting ready for this. And it is a wild horror movie, but I think it's very, very good. And I think if you really want to get an idea of the type of character that I'm trying to play, I would suggest watching that movie. Just know that it is a very hard R. Um, I also pulled a lot of inspiration from music, as I always do. So I think one of the, the guiding tracks that I listen to pretty constantly when I'm thinking about this character is The Void Stares Back by Anishikari featuring Wargasm. There's a lot of imagery about staring into the void and it's staring back and being from another dimension in there. It's a pretty sci-fi type of song, and I think it fits the character concept well. And then just maybe less the actual content itself, but just the way that I feel when I'm listening to the record. I'm pulling from the classic symptoms of a broken spirit record by Architects. There's a lot of driving rhythms in there, really hard one, two, three, four beats, but then some like wacky, heavy breakdowns. I don't know why, but I just think of this character when I listen to that record. And then I'll do one more honorable mention. The song Bloodshot by Enter Shikari is like the most mesmerist slash psychic song that I've heard in a really long time. And when I think about the class, I think about that song a lot. All right. So, I mean, you talked about what your class does. I think you're going to be a blaster caster. Yeah. Anything else we ought to know about you in combat? <sighs> Not really. I think I'm going to be filling in the maybe if <laughs> I mean, it is going to be a blaster caster. Like, that's what it is. Some of the comments that I'll make, though, is that I could have chosen Charisma for this character because that's the other option with the psychic. I elected not to, though, because, you know, we're spoiling Bestow Curse here because we've decided we can do that on this show now. As of right now, Vex's still alive in Bestow Curse, and I don't want another face character if I've already got one. I don't want to hog too much of the limelight on all of these shows. But and I, and I also just think that the intelligence fits a lot better with where I was trying to go. But really just trying to dish out damage at range, potentially supplement Chris a little bit with knowledge checks. If he's not able to get all of the information that we need out of our bad guys. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've mentioned before that if you took Vec, Rox and now Atlas together as a three man party, I think that is a pretty proficient party. And that's kind of what I was going for. I wanted to play three definitively different characters to give me some good variety between the different shows. Yeah, I feel like that's an important part in the character creation process oh, yeah. now with multiple campaigns going. It's like, you don't want to be playing like the same kind of role or, you know, the same type of character that has the same kind of gimmicks, you know? It's fun hopping into different stuff between games. And you've got a pretty good example of that as well. You've got your beat stick Diego. You've yep. got your Pete as the as the caster slash face, and then Grady as well, doing a little bit of everything. Yep. So you definitely thought of the same way that I did coming into character creation. Yep, absolutely. I guess finally I'd ask, what is this character's kind of place in the shackles? Why are they here? What are they? Without giving us spoilers on mm -hmm. you know your backstory too much, what's going on leading into the start of this AP? Sure. So I definitely listened to uh, my upcoming vignette when it drops on the main feed. I think it's going to put a lot of this into context. But one of the things that I'll call to attention is that when I introduced this character, I introduced him as Atlas Reiner, the cold-blooded Corsair. And then I proceeded to talk about how he's kind of reserved and like sits in the back and does blaster caster stuff and is like a researcher or whatever. And you might say like, those aren't 
traits of a pirate that would lend themselves to getting a name like the cold-blooded corsair well i think we're gonna have a lot of instances of his name being at odds with how he actually behaves because that's really not his name it's the name of the person he's kind of taking the place of oh so I don't know. I think we're going to have a lot of fun RP like that. Being a pirate isn't really his goal in life. It's a means to an end. There's a lot of stuff that I want this character to achieve. And being a pirate is a way to make all of that happen. I don't know that I'm ready to reveal what all of those things are. But very recently, as you'll hear in the upcoming vignette, there was a recent setback in the goals that he is trying to achieve, which is going to put him right in the spot leading into episode one of how he meets people and gets involved in the party. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting. And it's actually, I mean, we've talked about this character for a long time. It does throw a little bit of a wrinkle, but I think a fun one into the mechanics behind the campaign. Okay. Mainly in that in the original Skull and Shackles, there's an infamy and and disrepute system. Mm -hmm. And I'm maintaining the spirit of that system but kind of converting it to more of like a total crew bounty versus and like individual party member bounties based off of the deeds that you individually have done and the deeds that you're able to boast about and that kind of thing like the infamy system allows you to do but that kind of allows you better upgrades to your ship better you know Mm -hmm. prices and ports availability of certain ports that wouldn't normally be accessible to you, that kind of thing. So you upgrade with this system, and I'm going to kind of have to balance that with the fact that you're recognizable already as like someone known in the shackles Mm. that has a bounty and is infamous, has a moniker. So how does that play with like what you're doing? And does your specific bounty even translate to what's happening with you? Or is it what's happening in the background with this other character? Yes. I did not think about any sort of infamy system or anything <laughs> when, I, when I decided to go with this character concept. But I'm very excited to see where that goes. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's definitely going to be an RP challenge I in think, general. I think, I think it's going to be an RP challenge. I think it's going to give you unique opportunities. Yes that you wouldn't have at your level, but also unique challenges that you wouldn't have at your level. If the rest of your crew is kind of easy pickings bounty wise, and you're fetching, you know, 500 gold, Mm -hmm. you might be attacked by uh, other pirates. Or your crew. Yeah, or your crew. (laughs) Your crew (laughs) might decide to sell you off. Grady needs booze money. (laughs) Grady, thirsty. All right. Well, unless anybody has any further questions or comments about my Golden Shackles character, I think it's time for some listener questions because we got a ton of them. Like I mentioned in the Discord, I was very pleased with how many that we got, but we got way too many. So don't worry if you don't hear your question today. I still need to talk to Haley. I still need to talk to Brooks and Emily about what their characters are like. And most of these questions weren't Chris or me specific. So we're just going to basically be rolling them forward. They'll get answered. Don't worry. But the first one comes from 10 Lawn Gnomes, or Eric. Question, what is your character's favorite part of the ship? Chris. Grady, mm. where's he hanging out? I honestly think maybe his cabin, because I think with all the stuff he's got going on, he's just got a bunch of wild stuff in there. You know, he might be growing some exotic plants or, like, harvesting stuff off of fish and, like, doing weird... He just... 
all sorts of potential for just weird experiments he's got going on in there. And it's a private place to drink, too. So. <laughs> Fair enough. That's kind of also my character's answer. He's a little bit of an academic. Mm. But I think the way that I answer this question is that I know there's a lot of activities that need to happen to keep a ship running. You need manpower to do that. The cool thing about the Distant Grasp version of Psychic is that it bumps up your Mage Hand to carry one bulk, which eventually scales to two, three, and beyond, I believe. Ooh. So there's a very real reality that it's like, hey, we need someone to run this rope up to the crow's nest. Atlas can just, like, telekinesis it up there. Yeah. So I think he's going to be very valuable, not necessarily as, like, a grunt doing things, but just like standing in the middle of the deck and conducting work, kind of like the conductor of an orchestra as things just like, you know, Ron, like the the Weasley kitchen in, yeah. in Harry Potter where things are just happening around them. So I think that'd be fun. Time Law Gnomes Eric also asks, what's the worst way to fight scurvy that still works? Griff. Oh. The worst way to fight scurvy that still works? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you need vitamin C, so mm -hmm. it's really the worst way that you can absorb vitamin C, which if you think about your mucous membranes and what can absorb oh, things, yep, yep. you're basically taking like a raw lemon and squeezing it into either your butthole yep. or maybe your eyes. I don't know how much your eyes can actually absorb. Lemon uh, supplements. You're snorting, yeah. like you'd snort lemon to get the vitamin C into your bloodstream. Sure. So I think those might be some of the worst ways. I was kind of thinking, like, you know how you always get the big old orange slice in your blue moon? Maybe, like, someone really sloppy, like a Grady-type chugs a blue moon, and you have to, like, fish out the orange slice and squeeze that out into your mouth. Yeah, or That's shoot it gross. into your veins. That, too. No. Chris, did you have an answer for this one? No, you covered mine. <laughs> okay, fair. Well, you have a specific question from Jason. He's asking, hey, Chris, if you were building this character in Starfinder, what planet would they be from? And he suggests Gascar 3, the aquatic world of exiles. Nope, that was my answer. Okay. So I wrote it there as a reference, so that's what it is. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was my answer. You just read it aloud. <laughs> you didn't format it in any way. I thought that came from Jason. My bad. Uh, do you want to say it? Yeah, it's Gascar 3, the exotic world of exiles. Fantastic. But for real question, can you share which region of Galarian your characters come from, knowing that just might be the Shackles, and what drew slash draws them to that region? I think we addressed the back end of that. I can't remember specifically if we did the front end, though. So Grady is hailing originally from Cheliax. Ooh, yeah. okay. So growing up in their ties to the Cheliaxian Navy or the Chelish Navy, whichever way you want to go with that. But he's definitely firmly in the Shackles for a long time up to the start of this adventure. So it's only his distant origins he's hailing from. Mm. Very good. And then uh, I'm just going to say inconclusive for me. Mm. Yeah. The mirror. Oh, is your guy like, is he mirrored from you? Like, is it snake upper half and man body man legs? I don't think that's how mirrors work, Chris. You flip it. Well, flip if, it. did he flip, flip it across the mirror? Well, I don't have any insight into that. I just know what the game rules say, which is that's not the case. But who knows if we'll ever bump into the real Atlas Reiner, the cold-blooded Corsair. We'll see how Griff wants to run. Probably that. not. Probably not. We'll He's probably left-handed and you're right-handed? <laughs> Whoa. 
want a real uh, like they're standing next to each other and there's one gun with one bullet and we're both like shoot him I'm the real one yeah I'm sure I'm sure we'll have an episode like that mm-hmm all right old bacon face great name also known as Sam is asking have you considered the many advantages of using starboard and larboard over starboard and port for sides of the ship huh no I haven't thought about that why not sort and port either why does it have to be the other way I think starboard and larboard means that the larboard is left. I believe that is the case. Yes. <laughs> it's just as easy to remember that port and left have the same amount of letters. Yeah, I locked that in pretty early, but I'm sure we're going to fuck this up like constantly. Nope. I think you just remember that one thing that they have the same amount of letters and you got it. Well, uh, Griff, you're putting too much confidence in us. When I say we, I mean the colloquial, including Brooks. I don't think Brooks is going to name parts of the ship <laughs> besides the poop deck. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, speaking of the poop deck, I think uh, that kind of leads us potentially into our next question, which comes from Newt. Do you think you will ever get tired of making booty jokes this AP? No. No, I think, you know, all of the classic pirate puns are... Booty. Poop deck. Semen. What am I missing? I try to hold myself to a higher standard, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. You know? It's easy. It's easy to go for the low-hanging fruit there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's how you avoid scurvy. Yeah. Go for low-hanging fruit, shove it up your butt, you know. Squeeze a lemon in Squeeze a lemon in there, yep. Mm-hmm. Get a real lemon pucker. All right. I'm sure they'll come up. Probably not as frequently as piss jokes, but yeah, decently frequently. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, the poop deck is where you administer the lemon on the ship. Like, I'm pretty sure historically that's where the, you, you do it. Y- yeah, you apply lemons on yeah. the poop deck. Hmm. Maybe. All right, next question from Newt. What's the most egregious character build you can think of that Griff would have allowed on this show? Hmm. That's a tough one because I feel like with this specific AP, you can probably get away with some real bullshit. I already tried running a tenant wizard by him. Tenant? That, is, that didn't work. Ten intelligence wizard? Oh, ten, ten int. int. <laughs> oh, that one just got shot down? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I... I feel like this is a boring answer, but I feel like the character builds that Griff would have shot down are just things that wouldn't fit in a seafaring set. No, this isn't asking what I would have shot down. This what is asking would have allowed. what's the most ridiculous thing right. I would have allowed. No. Any of the, r- the most ridiculous thing you would have allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I know. Like, I'm pretty much allowing like rare stuff and whatever. Yeah. So yeah. But the next question's easy. Mm. No lawful. Simple character you would have vetoed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah question was, what's the simple character that Griff would have vetoed right away? No lawful this campaign. Also, maybe anything that comes from like another AP. Like, I'm yeah, going to play yeah, a Strength yeah. of Thousands uh, right. multi-class, or I'm going to play that Seven Pillars broken monk right, from Ruby yeah. Phoenix. Stuff that's <laughs> clearly broken that hasn't been eroded yet, I guess. But I mean, I'm letting like some third-party content get played. Like, I'm pretty much good with whatever, as you'll see with, I mean, Steve's obviously a weird ancestry, but like, the rest of them are Steve level weird. Not yeah, human. yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned on the Discord not long ago. This is the most diverse party that we've ever played together. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think absolutely that's true. true. Yeah. I think starting with Chris as a human. Yeah, white man debuting this. <laughs> okay, this <What's> white male <laughs> <laughs> debuting that character first really just says, "All right, that's the sort of normal one," and really, yep. it's not even that normal. And we're going pretty wild here. I've talked extensively with Brooks and Emily about theirs. I've probably talked a little less with Haley about hers, but what I know is bananas. 
it's going to be a wild ride, folks. They're all going to be really cool. Yeah, I think I think I just would have vetoed anything that like didn't feel like it bought into the setting. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, you guys would never throw that at me, though. You never throw like a. Uh, I'm gonna be an ifrit that doesn't know how to swim, that like hates the ocean and doesn't start in the shackles. My mom was killed by pirates, so I hate pirates. Comes yeah. through, comes through a portal to Port Peril and is there, but he normally is from Jamare. I'm actually a Starfinder character. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna play the Starfinder soldier. Yep. Play test character. soldier, please. Yeah, that would be great. I think play test soldier would actually be fun because you'd be like the. The whole concept of that in Starfinder 2E is like big AOE damage. I'd yeah. let you be the guy that like is strong enough to like carry around a cannon or something. Oh my yeah. god, that's <laughs> the dream. The like cannoneer guy. That is the absolute dream to walk around with a big fucking cannon. <laughs> <laughs> you get one shot and then it's like full round reload yep, or something. Yep. The dream, the siege mage. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up what we wanted to talk about today. I don't have a whole ton of housekeeping. Like mentioned at the top of this episode, we still don't have an actual release date for Skull and Shackles, but obviously since we're debuting characters now, that's probably going to happen soon. So keep your ears and eyes peeled. I'm planning on having the next few Zone of Truth episodes to be more character reveals. So we will certainly let you know who's coming on next to talk about their character. We're really excited for this. I guess to that end, the live Zone of Truth, I believe is of 21st of October. I'm saying as I'm looking at the calendar right now. Yes. So you can reasonably expect if you are a patron of the show at the $10 and up tier to learn about another one, two, three characters on the Zone of Truth Live happening the 21st at 4 p.m. Eastern. So hang out with us then. But I don't really have anything else to plug and I don't think we have anything else to plug. So... Can it square Brewfest, baby? It's already happened. Will have happened. <laughs> Will have happened. We had a great time. It was probably a great time. Awesome. You guys can't check it out till next year. Yes. Suckers. But in the meantime, Chris, you did succeed your will save. Thanks for showing up and introducing your character, Grady. I'm very excited to see him in action. Yeah. Dark Archives represent. Hell yeah. I don't know if we have any more Dark Archive hitting the party after this episode. We used up the whole book making our characters. <laughs> Pretty <Yep>. much. <laughs> book spent. Yep. But in the meantime, Griff, is there anything that you want to say to the people at home before we get out of here? Mm, why don't you go prevent scurvy on your own butthole? We'll see you in two oh, weeks. Oh, he just told you all <laughs> off. Later. <laughs> <laughs>